feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. Today we're going to talk about toxic positivity and emotional awareness. So we've been kind of talking about this over the last couple episodes. Like often I like to make my episodes kind of build on each other, but they all also stand alone. So if you're new around here, welcome. If you're coming back, this will be a nice extension of what we've been talking about in the last couple episodes. A solo episode about self-efficacy and positive affirmations. And then Um, I brought in an expert on kind of positive psychology. The very last episode before this one was an interview with Dr. Marie Cross, who is a biobehavioral psychologist at Penn State University. Fantastically interesting episode. And there were some points. So this is why I'm trying to make episodes shorter. So instead of hitting like lots of points, lots of topics that are all related, I'm just going to do each smaller episode. Um, We'll talk about uh, related things. So that's what we're doing here. So if you want a little bit more info on some positive psychology concepts, uh, a little background on that, I highly recommend the episode with Marie if you haven't heard it yet. But we started to talk about, and we didn't get a chance to really dive into this on that episode. Um, She said one of her main points was no feelings are bad. Like, yes, you want to try to stay in doing what makes you happy, right? Like we're probably all a lot of the time striving for happiness, shooting for happiness. I say stay in the light on this show often. Um, like that's what we're aiming for, but there it comes with a caveat that we didn't get time on that episode to kind of get into. So that's what we're here to do to today talk about that caveat that when you are faking positive emotions um, instead of cultivating them in healthy ways, that's not going to have the same effect. It's actually going to be a detriment to your resilience. It's going to make it harder for you to actually feel those positive emotions in a real and genuine way. So that's kind of what I was getting at with the the positive affirmations episode too. That's why I'm saying these are all related, but they're all kind of standalone. So um, I was kind of getting that at that with the positive affirmations is that when you just try to positive affirm yourself into feeling better, that comes with an inherent denial of what you're truly feeling. And that's not helpful in any sense. So I say all this because I hear that so frequently in the wellness world. Everybody's like, practice your gratitude, practice your positive affirmations, like these things will improve your life. And they will, they totally will. And that's what actually Marie in the um, previous episode pointed to that the biggest ways to kind of cultivate the um, more what she called state and trait positive affect. These are trait positive affect is like what you're feeling, you know, when you go through like day-to-day positive affect, like your how positive you are based on experiences and state positive affect is like how are you like an optimist or a pessimist at your core? Like I know you all know those people. Some people are just optimists at their core. They're, you know, what I, and, pe- and other people are pessimists at their core. So 
Um, this is a whole field, this positive psychology field, and Marie talked a little bit about the history of it. Um, but I think it gets a bad rap because people are like, hey, wait a minute, like that's really kind of glossing over a lot of other experiences that are equally valid. And so that's what I'm here to talk about today because, in fact, positive psychology doesn't really gloss over these things. We just have to get into it and learn about it. So let me go further into defining what I mean when I say resilience because that's it's kind of my favorite. You know, in my earlier episodes, I, I felt like I needed to give some background to the things I've been through in my life and how I came to the point of studying yoga for trauma and trauma-informed yoga and all that stuff. But what I've learned on on that whole path is that we want to focus on cultivating resilience. We don't want to stay. That's why I say stay in the light. We want to stay in the solution. We want to focus on cultivating things that are going to make our life and our experience better, right? We don't want to stay stuck in um, the kind of bad stuff. In fact, um, this is a little aside that I learned along the way too, is that Sanskrit uh, doesn't have a word for depression, it's it only translates to stagnation. So it's like getting stagnant in our old experiences or um, things that have harmed us is can lead to depression according to yogic philosophy. We have to shake it up. We have to get out of it. We have to uh, keep moving, right? And so when I say that, that, that really aligns to what I mean when I say Resilience. So resilience to me is about the ability to self-regulate through a range of experiences. So like the pandemic, for example, and all the other stuff going on over the past year, um, kind of racial reckoning and all this stuff is coming to the light. And, you know, we can look at the astrology of that, too, if you're curious. Um, sign up for my email list, little aside. But um, so it just... When you go through, like, there will always be hard stuff. There will always be traumas. And I think it's a valiant and a noble goal that there are lots of people out there trying to reduce uh, traumas that are happening to people. But that's not what I feel like is, you know, my darshan. I talked about that in the first episode. That's not that's not my dharma. That's not my viewpoint. That's not what I'm here to do so much. Um, my more main goal is to cultivate resilience because that's what's in our control, right? Our ability to bounce back, our ability to get up and keep going, your ability to fall down seven times, get up eight, that kind of thing is what I think of when I think of resilience. So like um, like a resilient business is one that um, can make it through pandemic closure restrictions and pivot and do the hard work. It's, you know, it's a lot about hard work. Um, and so with that comes the ability also to navigate through tough emotions because it is completely normal. And in fact, it would be weird if you didn't have any tough emotions when you go through hard things. So there's some examples, you know, um, pandemic, racism, um, you know, other kinds of aggressions you might experience, things that are out of your control, 
right? It is a noble goal to change society, but I'm here to learn and teach uh, how to change our inner world. That's what the yogic path gives us is how to make our inner world be a more comfortable place to be. And with that comes recognizing and having an awareness of and knowing kind of what to do with the harder emotions. So that also came up in the undergraduate research that I did. So I kind of found based on a literature review that it seems like the reason or reasons, I should say, but one of them is more important to this conversation. The reasons that yoga works for helping people heal from trauma or helping people cultivate resilience is because it helps people cultivate one, body awareness, and two, emotional awareness. And that emotional awareness piece is called alexithymia. Um, I'll type it in the show notes. I'm not going to sit here and try to spell it out loud because I'm dyslexic. Um, I'll put it in the show notes because it's like a big word and that's um, a thing. So I also want to talk about here sometimes like research, you know, what makes good research and it's interesting to me because research, while I think it is very important, I think it's also too important to acknowledge um, kind of other ways of knowing and that basically that using big words doesn't make you any smarter. It doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's better to have some kind of knowledge that is more accessible and applicable in real time. Right. So that's why I'm just, I'm just going to call it emotional awareness, but just know that I've done extensive research on this and have some data to go with it to, um, kind of show and, you know, we'll further investigate some more about this emotional awareness piece, but just know that we're starting to learn, um, in the scientific community and I'm sure myself included and probably all of you, if you have any experience with yoga, have, have an experiential awareness that an embodied awareness that yoga helps cultivate emotional and body awareness that like, that's kind of the idea and well, especially the meditation piece. And so this is another one that, um, Marie mentioned in, in her episode that, um, in her interview that meditation and gratitude were like the two biggest practices she gave us to help cultivate a higher, um, positivity in your life, cultivate higher, you know, more optimism, more feelings of hope, you know, things like that, better health outcomes you also get from cultivating these things. And the two biggest, easiest, uh, best working practices she offered us to do with that were keeping a gratitude journal where, you know, whatever piece of paper or note on your phone, whatever you do, write down like three to five things you're grateful for every day. It, you know, it could be in the morning, could be at night, could do it on your lunch break. I don't know. Just have like a routine to do it all the time. And it doesn't have to be big, uh, crazy. Like, you know, we're not all getting these big, like windfalls, big, awesome things happening every day. Like most of life is pretty mundane, but it makes sense that when you cultivate, um, a gratitude of the mundane, the mundane seems better, right? Like we all know that we hear it all the time. It's just, 
plaguing the work. You know, I say that like, because it feels like sometimes like, okay, I just need to cultivate gratitude, right? But sometimes you feel like it's hard to cultivate gratitude or people could even like gaslight you where you go through some big tragedy and they're like, well, everything happens for a reason. You should be grateful for blah, blah, blah. Look at the silver lining. And that right there is what I'm talking about that's detrimental. Trying to stay in the positive so much that you can't or won't or don't acknowledge the hard stuff. And that goes with um, internally, like holding space for your own self, but also holding space for others. So, you know, when somebody knows going through something hard, please don't say to them, everything happens for a reason. Like, don't say those things. Let's get away from saying those things. Like, everything happens for a reason. And it's hard when somebody... Okay, so my partner and I do this thing together where sometimes we complain to each other. And we've done it so much that now we've gotten really good at together just, like, listening and kind of asking more questions. You know, if we come and one of us has had a hard day, we used to ask each other, um, do you want feedback? Do you want me to help you solve the problem? Or are you just wanting to vent about it, right? And we we used to do that, but now we don't even, like, ask each other anymore. Most of the time we're, like, we vent to each other and it's a – we hold space for each other in that way. And I have several friends that we do that too, where it's just, you know, a friend comes to you and they're they're stressed or whatever, and they want to vent about something. And the biggest gift you can give that person is just holding space for what they're truly feeling. Instead of trying to fix it, sit with it. And then that leads it back to like, if you want to apply this to yourself, that's the meditation practice that Maria also pointed to as a way to um, cultivate, you know, all the positive health outcomes that come with higher optimism, higher state, positive affect, um, those kind of words, like higher higher happiness in your life, you know, on a day-to-day basis and like who you are as a person. When you cultivate um, more of those things, Uh, a good way to do it is through meditation. And so that's exactly what I was kind of just describing with your partner or your friend when somebody comes to you with something like that. Um, How you hold space for them is just don't try to fix it. Don't try to change it. And that's therein lies the piece with meditation. And so you sit down in meditation and let's say something hard that's been kind of plaguing your mind lately comes up as it will. Because I always tell my students in my classes too, in my yoga classes, that the goal of meditation isn't to not think, in my opinion. This is how I teach meditation. This is how I meditate. Because if I stop thinking, I'm probably like close to falling asleep. Which there, those are other practices like yoga nidra, um, you know, things like that when I have like a really good shavasana Sometimes I'm able to get to that state. And it does, so it does happen off, like sometimes, but it doesn't happen all the time. So if you sit down to meditate and you're like, oh, I just can't shut my mind off, don't get discouraged. Don't think you're doing it wrong because, especially like if you're in, if you're doing your meditation, like say in a yoga class or something, like where I teach, there's like other stuff going on. It's just, 
I think it, it's easier to cultivate more of a mindfulness practice where you just become a witness to your own mind. Instead of trying to shut your mind off, you just become a witness to notice what comes up for you. So what that looks like is you sit and meditate and maybe you focus on your breath. But let's say there's there's tons of breath practices you can do, tons of things you can do to d- direct your awareness um, with meditating, tons of guided meditations out there. Um, so you can you focus on whatever you're going to choose to be the object of your meditation. Maybe it's your breath. Maybe it's your bodily sensations. Maybe you're doing a body scan um, or progressive relaxation like yoga nidra, whatever you're going to do. Um, and then you're going to have other thoughts come up because that's what the brain does. Your brain thinks and it's doing a good job. It's going to think until you die. It even thinks while you sleep. Your brain is never going to stop thinking. It's just a matter of what it's thinking about. So when you're meditating, you kind of sit there and you're like, I'm noticing my breath. And then all of a sudden you're thinking about the to-do list. And sometimes maybe you don't even notice that transition from thinking about your breath to thinking about your to-do list or whatever stressor in your life is going on for you that day. Maybe you're like, um, let's say the to-do list because that's an easy one. you know. So your stressor, your to-do list comes up and you're just going down like, oh, and I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to uh, go to the grocery store and this is what I need at the grocery store. And And so all of a sudden you're just like in the grocery store sitting on your meditation cushion and where's your breath? And it's a matter of cultivating. The more you cultivate this practice, you might start to notice when your brain switches from breath to grocery store or breath to to to-do list, right? Um, So the more you cultivate awareness, the more you start to notice what frequently comes up for you. Um, And that's where the valuable insights come from, is what is constantly coming up for me? What is stressing me out? What emotions come up when that thought comes up? Where does that land in my body? So that's why those are valuable meditation objects like your breath or your body sensations because you can notice, you become a witness to your internal world. So the idea isn't to stop that internal world. It's to become a witness to it and not get... So in our normal day-to-day life, we're probably just off and running, like just living in our own little brain, little whatever world and not being a witness to it. So meditation gives us that valuable um, valuable tool, valuable place to become a witness and put some separation between ourselves and our emotions. So then once you do that, you might be able to notice what that feeling or emotion or body sensation is trying to tell you, right? So I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, feelings aren't facts. So they're they're signals. They're usually a signpost for something, right? They're data, not directives. So just because you think of something, maybe before you were meditating, you had some like work meeting and it 
made you mad and so now you're mad about the work meeting or whatever the case is or you've had some issue going on and so you notice that you're mad. So instead of doing the usual process of getting mad, maybe your heart rate quickens, your palms get sweaty, your stomach is in knots, whatever, you know, all these physical things that happen when you experience the emotion of anger, right? We know this. We know this so deeply and culturally, in fact, that, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, they were hot. They were so mad. They were hot, right? You know, because you're you're going into fight or flight mode when you get angry. Your uh, muscles start to, your nervous system starts to send more blood to your skeletal muscles instead of your digestive tract and similar things to being stressed. Uh, I talk about this a lot, you know, that that your emotions very much can and your experience, so experiences trigger emotions, right? And then those emotions trigger physiological responses, and these things. So meditation gives us that tool to notice what when that happens. Um, so we practice it, you know, when we're sitting in meditation or, or practicing yoga, right? We notice, we start to get, get really good at noticing what happens in our body when that feeling comes up, what triggered that feeling you know if you're sitting in meditation it's probably a thought of an experience rather than like an actual experience right um but so you you start to notice how all the relationship between the inner world and the outer world and you put some space between yourself and that and you get to say hey i'm not dealing with that right now i'm not going down that um kind of path right now of whatever that emotion is. So then you get to kind of put that in practice in your real life when, say, you get angry and then you have the ability to not let your physiological responses take over and then snowball, right? You're able to use your breath the same way you did on the meditation cushion come back to your breath and calm those physiological responses so that you're able to approach the situation with a more level head. But that also comes with a caveat of what we're talking about here is the idea isn't to never feel those things. You have to feel it because otherwise it's going to keep coming up in your meditation practice and making you pissed off and taking you away from your breath or Whatever the case is, right, you have to deal with that in some way that's productive. So that kind of begs the question, well, what are the more productive ways? Because I've just sat here and told you that you can't just ignore those negative feelings. You have to deal with them. But then I've said that, well, meditation um, is kind of not the place, right? But that's one of our tools to cultivate higher positive emotions, positive experiences in our life. Um, so I think that comes with the the notion that during meditation, we practice several, several yogic tools like non-attachment, aparigraha. So in a broad sense, I could just say yoga, like do yoga, do your yoga and meditation, and just trust the magic of the yoga and meditation 
But if you're wondering, um, I guess for more specific situations, exactly what you need to do is going to be more dependent on the situation, your makeup, you know, like your Ayurvedic type, if you're familiar with that, your dosha, your constitution, your um, astrology even. So these are all some tools that yogic philosophy gives us to get a little bit more in depth with addressing what's going on, right? So astrology, that's why I do astrology and yoga therapy because it's like we can look at the kind of more mental aspects of it as well as the physical aspects with the yoga therapy. So we get to practice yoga and meditation specifically to get a keener awareness of what certain experiences, certain emotions bring up in our body and we get to really dive more deeply into our our physical reactions, our our physical state, our body awareness and the relationship between our mental state and our physical state and our emotional and spiritual states, right? And it also teaches us that we all have certain karmas. So and that's what an astrology reading would really like help dive into. If you want more clarity on this for you, we can look at kind of your karmas related to a little bit. I'm not like a, you know, there are people that are past life regressionists. I'm not that. So um, whether you subscribe to like the past life theory or not, it's, we can look at things that, um, that maybe aren't as much things that might come easier to you versus things that you might be like put on this earth to do, right? Your dharma, your karma, things that you have to work with in this lifetime to have a better experience, right? Because that's the goal, right? So we get to look at those things. We get to talk over, talk through, gain some clarity on what those might be for you. It just helps to have a little guidance sometimes, you know, but if you're going it alone, just know that it's supported by research that yoga and meditation just in general um, help. They do. And it's because they help cultivate emotional awareness and give that separation between yourself and the emotion so that you can process it a little better instead of getting hijacked and taken over by it. So that speaks a little bit to what some people sometimes mean when they say get in a space where you're responding, not reacting, right? So I also want to say one final little thing is, I don't know, my mom always says this thing, maybe other people do too, like my mom calls it the 10-year test, but I've also, I guess I've seen like memes that are like, if it won't matter in five years, don't let it bother you for more than five minutes. And that's great. I, I like that, you know, so maybe you can sit with it for five minutes or whatever, and then just really put it into perspective. Like, will this matter? You know, is it worth kind of getting knocked off my piece, getting, you know, taken over emotionally, what's sometimes called amygdala hijacking, getting, I think I touched on that in the um, in an earlier episode about neuro- neuroscience and this kind of stuff, the neuroscience of all of this stuff. Um, but where you get kind of caught up in the, 
it's like your threat processing center. It's very primal. Um, so it's like when you sense a threat, and most of our threats in this world now are not physical. Like there's not really tigers we have to worry about. In the Asheville area, there are bears, but they mostly leave us alone. They just want to eat our trash. Um, but so most of the threats are like, you know, somebody said something off to you in a meeting at work or uh, whatever. You had a fight with your partner. I don't know. Most of the threats are are emotional in nature. But it still goes through this same primal, like, threat response system like I was talking about. And you, you, get, um, you get all these physiological responses, like your breath and your heart rate. So in yoga, we start practicing noticing those things. Um, but I just also want to say one time I was telling one of my friends about uh, how when my son was really small and I was like not sleeping and everybody's like, you know, people, this puts a bow on it really nicely. And everybody's like, oh, but it's over in a blank. The first year is a blur, blah, 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 which is true. And I was kind of lamenting about that to a friend of mine. And he goes, well, but all we ever have is this moment. And so when you're in the moment of something, it feels like forever. And that is just so true. Like, so when you're experiencing something, when you're in it, all we have is this moment. And so that that moment is your experience. You know, it doesn't matter that the moment's going to be over soon. It doesn't matter that, you know, whatever, there will be a silver lining or everything happens for a reason or all those things that people say when you're going through something hard. So give yourself permission to be in it. Give yourself or your loved one when they come, you know, somebody comes to you with this kind of thing, give yourself or someone else permission to just be in the hard stuff. That's like the biggest gift you can give yourself and somebody else because that gives you the chance instead of fighting it to notice, you know, what what that brings up for you in your body and in your mind and, and all of that stuff. And it gives you chance to deal with it more productively than if you were trying to fight it through just saying positive affirmations or doing a gratitude list. And so that's why I'm like, those things are good, do them, but they're not going to get you out of a bad state. What's going to get you out of a bad or a harder emotional state is sitting with it and maybe using meditation as a tool to kind of put some space between yourself and that state. Like this is often called um, person-first language. Instead of saying, I'm mad, like I am mad, You meditation gives you the tool to say, I am experiencing anger so that you can feel the emotion rather than become it. And so I know I always like to leave you with a tool or a practical tip, practical application to put this into practice. And I wish I had something a little more specific than just saying, go meditate for you. But I do have at the end of one of my earlier episodes, I can link that episode in the show notes, a guided meditation that is great for this kind of thing. And you'll see, you know, you can click on it. You can go to the show notes of that episode um, and find exactly what time it starts Um, So you could try that or you can just try any kind of favorite guided meditation. Um, I really like the Insight Timer app. Um, That's what I use personally when I want to do a guided meditation. Um, Or if you wanted to work 
more specifically one-on-one, you could always schedule an astrology reading. Or I am now taking clients for yoga therapy. I have a high preference on doing those in Asheville area, but I am not opposed to taking some virtually. Just know that it's it's easier. We can totally do an astrology reading virtually. Easy peasy. It's almost even better virtually because I can share my screen with you and you get to see all this cool stuff. Um, but it's kind of tricky to do yoga therapy virtually. I am trained to do it, but I just prefer in person for that. So if you wanted to work more one-on-one, get a little more clarity around building these um, practices and tools in your own life, you can head to my website, yogiscopes.com. That's Y-O-G-I-S-C-O-P-E-S to get your kind of yoga horoscope, whether that's that was the idea behind creating that name, whether it's yoga therapy um, or astrology. And even in an astrology reading, I can give you some yoga practices uh, to, to help with whatever we come up with. Um, it's just the yoga therapy. I, I usually, I'm trained to do like postural assessment and range of motion and strength testing and all this kind of stuff. So um, that's <laughs> pretty hard to do virtually that part. So maybe just stick with an astrology reading. I don't know. It's up to you. But you can find me on my website. Please join my email list if you're wanting more info about astrology specifically. I'm getting ready to send out, um, I'm going to start sending astrology transits to my email list first. So I'm, that might be somewhere else in the future. I might post it to a blog, but right now it's going to stick to just email list subscribers. So if you don't want to miss out on that, go hit my website, drop your email. Uh, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram. Yogi Scopes is the handle at both of those places. So please remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light.